Hi everyone, welcome back to the Media Mates podcast. My name's Ralph Tucker. Each week I'll chat to somebody I've met from my career in and around the media industry. All of them have such great stories to tell. I'm not Michael Parkinson or Andrew Denton, but I do enjoy chatting to interesting media people about where they've been, where they're headed next, and everything else in between. My guest today is Edwina Bartholomew from Channel 7. Edwina has been working for the network in various roles since 2008, firstly as a journalist, then a weather presenter, and now a fully-fledged member of the Sunrise team. She also co-hosts Dancing with the Stars. Before that, she was a journalist with radio station 2GB after beginning her career at Channel 7. We chat about how she got her big break, the important role mentors have played in her career, and how she cleverly deals with the haters. Edwina is someone who I respect and admire greatly, so I really hope you enjoy our chat. Hello, Edwina Bartholomew. It is good to see you, Ralph. Been a long time. How are you? I'm well. I'm really, really well. This, you've got me in a, in a good patch mid-morning. Normally a, a short nap would follow this, so uh, I feel awake which is a good start for you yeah, and for me. <laughs> definitely a good sign. You've come off your shift at Sunrise. Mm. How's all that going, given the fact that you're now part of the team in studio as opposed to being on the road all the time? It's different. It's a, it's a new kind of normal. I don't think I really gave credit to how extraordinary the last three years have been on the road. You know, I, I would leave, um, see it nice to be back in the city, sirens yeah, in the background, in the atmosphere. How good is um, it? You know, three years on the road, travelling all over Australia to every single little country town you could ever imagine, to every destination you've ever wanted to go to, every experience you've ever wanted to have, every shitty motel you've never wanted to stay in, to the best places to stay in. Like It's been an extraordinary three years. So it's it's really different. It's different being home. It's It's different being in a studio. I really feel like I've kind of... Got my L plates on, and I'm I'm still learning that that environment and that kind of skill. What's it like sleeping in your own bed as opposed <laughs> to you know covering more ground than um, Judith Durham and the Seekers? <laughs> uh, well, you got to you know change your own sheets and pick up your own towels as opposed to that hotel <laughs> service. I might have to might have to get a maid or housekeeping uh, in now and again. Um, it's good. I've always considered myself a real kind of homebody. I love cooking. I love um, all those kind of domestic things, aside from cleaning, not a big fan of housework. But, um, you know, I love being at home. So to have been away for so long, you know, it's been great, but it has been hard as well. I basically get home every Friday afternoon, collapse on the couch, have a nap, watch a DVD, uh, do some washing on a Saturday and pack up on a Sunday and go again. Um, so yeah, it's been a bit of, you know, weekends have been a bit of a write-off. Um, but I mean, that's the trade-off for having such a crazy, crazy cool week. What was it like knowing that Grant Daniel, who did the job before you, pretty much collapsed of exhaustion? How did you manage that on the road, being aware of what he actually went through? Well, I think that's the first thing, being aware of it. Uh, Grant, who is incredible, by the way, and, and I really respect his talent and, um, what he did in the role and he really paved the way for the rest of us to to take on those extraordinary trips and take on those extraordinary stunts. He did it a lot longer than I did. Yeah. Um, he did it balancing 
many, many shows as well. So I think he probably did a lot harder than I did in many respects. Um, but certainly I just took care of myself. I, you know, eat pretty well. I don't drink. Um, you know, I might have two or three drinks a year. Um, I, yeah, I, I say I eat pretty well with cakes sitting right in front of us, Ralph, <laughs> that your listeners can't see. Um, but generally speaking, yeah, exercise and, and sleep. You know, I go to bed at a nana time of of seven thirty, eight o'clock at night, and I'm pretty disciplined about that. So, yeah, I think that, that makes a difference. How important difference was to that me. to sort of not fall into the whole burnout thing? Yeah, very important. You know, in any job, you've got to take care of yourself. And to be honest, I'm not great at work-life balance. I mean, I love to work and I work lots and I work long hours and I actually really enjoy that. Um, so part of this coming home for me is about probably realigning that a little bit and, um, you know, remembering my boyfriend's name and, um, you know, being at home and being around for family and friends who, to be honest, have been incredibly patient and understanding for the last three years as I've missed christenings and, and birthdays and um, not too many weddings. I've managed to ma- make it to, to all of those. But, um, yeah, it's about probably for me finding that balance and, and um, creating that balance. Is it good to, obviously, to reconnect with people that you've sort of pretty much just given the um, the flick for three years? <laughs> totally. Like I think I'm very proud to say that I think, you know, all of my friends would say I've definitely, I've still been there for them um, over the last three years. I've, I've made sure that I never missed those major events and, and always, always put my friends first. Um, but the reality is like, if you'd asked me to do this six months ago, this podcast, I never would have been able to do it because I rarely would have been, uh, you know, in Sydney or or available Mm. or, or have a spare five minutes to myself. So that's been lovely. It's been so good to, I'm going to some friends for dinner tonight. No, and to be able to say, yeah, Ooh, oh night. god, I could go to, I can go to dinner on a Wednesday, <laughs> you crazy kid. Um, so that's that's it. That's fantastic. And um, yeah, I mean, I have some of, I just have the best mates from from work, from school, from uni. Um, that I'm very proud to call my friends, and and hopefully they're proud to them to call me my friend, my to you know something. I think I'm starting to fall asleep. Um, you know, I'm proud to to call them my friends, and and hopefully they're proud of me too. I'm sure they would be. One of the great things that you did last year, in order to, uh, I guess, showcase your friendships, was your 52 weeks on Instagram, and mm. I'm sure many people really enjoyed just following that, and just the fact that you had people in your mind despite the fact that you were all over the place. Yeah, that was amazing for me and that was about prioritising that time to catch up with friends. The way it came about was in December of 2014, I thought I didn't get invited to a friend's wedding and I thought, oh, geez, you know, he's a really good mate of mine. I must have let that friendship lapse so much that I didn't get a bait. Anyway... I ended up getting the invitation to the wedding in the mail, but by then I'd already started the project. But it turned out to be very, very fun and very, very good. And it meant that if I was home on a Friday and I had the option between taking a nap or doing some paperwork or going into work, I instead took the time to actually see someone and catch up with someone. And, you know, one of the questions I put on there was, tell me something weird you don't know about me. And I don't know about you rather. And 
I learned the funniest things about my friends. You know, one of them has some citrus plants in the backyard that she pees on every morning. Um, she lives in Alice Springs, so I think you can probably get away with that a little bit more. Um, I have a friend with webbed feet, which I didn't know about. Um, you know, people with with weird fears, weird interests. Um, yeah, it was so, it was so good. It was great for me, and I have such a perhaps it's the early mornings, but I have a really quite bad memory, and. It was wonderful to hear memories that my friends recalled that I'd forgotten about. It's been a big week for the Sunrise team, Mm. bit of controversy about. (laughs) What do you not understand about the way that Sam and to a lesser degree you and Nat were attacked by another female (laughs) journalist and how... How does it get to the point where it's a week on and we're still talking about it? Yeah, and I'm hoping by the time this goes online it'll be a few more weeks on and we will have moved on. Look, all I can say is I was very surprised to read the article. I was very embarrassed by the skit that we did. So just to background it, basically uh, Kristen Davis from Sex in the City came on. She's now an ambassador for... The UNHCR. Yeah, uh, she... Had a segment on that on the show on Sunrise. First of all, she was given, I think, four or five minutes of airtime to discuss that. And then a second part of it was a skit involving all of the girls dressed up as, you know, the girls on Sex in the City. Correct. So there was a conversation about refugees. Then it moved on to this skit, which we all raised concerns about before the fact, but yet we all sat there and did it. So we're not making any excuses for that. Mostly I think it was really unfair how Sam was targeted. Um, I have been fortunately been on the road, been a bit separated from it all for a very long time, so I've never really had to be to face it and be there um, as, as Sam's being targeted. And she's been targeted so much over her weight, over body image, over her relationship status, over comments she's made you know what, it's just not fair. And I think that's why she finally decided to take a stand and stand up for herself. And she's very good like that. She said, you got to pick your battles. I'm more of the guns blazing type throw a few punches person, (laughs) not very good at picking battles, and I'm not very good at staying silent when people make comments. I accept all feedback, bad and good, but I do like to reply to people and let them know that I've read it I've registered it. Sometimes it's right, absolutely, and sometimes I'll take things on and make changes and, you know, absorb that feedback, that negative feedback. Um, But other times it's just a bit hateful and unnecessary and I think that's certainly what Sam has had to endure. And she's not seeking sympathy at all, but, you know, she's a person. She's a human. She's a woman. We're we're all tough chicks, but we're not dumb chicks. Well, see, that's the thing that you most reasonably minded people would take into account. You're not stupid if you're on a national breakfast show yeah, five days a week when you've got to interview anyone from a politician to mm. anyone representing any cause yeah. whatsoever. You know, there's got to be light and shade in in what you do because ultimately, also, it's it's an entertainment package. So. Absolutely, and yeah, we do lots of different things. And look, I'm the first to say that I've dressed up in stupid outfits and done stupid things and done some hilarious stories and done some pretty lame stories. But you've known me for more than ten years, Ralph, and I just 
objected to being defined by that two minutes of television and being referred to as mindless and dumb because of that. And a bimbo. I mean, and a bimbo. What, what year is it? I know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I, I just really hope that everyone moves on truly and I don't think, I don't think that's a constructive comment. Well, what, what is it about women that feel like they need to pile into other women when the so-called sisterhood exists? Whereas oh, on the on the, on the on the flip yeah. on the flip side, a guy does that to another guy, and it's really hardly even rated a, a mention. Do you know what though? I d- one thing I do like about blokes is that you're pretty matter of fact and you're pretty straight up and down and whatever you know. You're willing to say what you mean to someone's face. Yeah. And I've always been like that as well. You know, like if I say something privately, I feel like I should be willing to say it to someone. And maybe that's what this was all about. But I I kind of resent that or reject that notion that women like to fight amongst themselves. I've never had an issue with a woman that I've worked with. I can honestly say the people that I work with have been nothing but supportive, encouraging eager with advice, good and bad, and that has that has been my overwhelming experience with women. And to suggest that we're all pitted against each other is is nonsense. Well, it's not so much, I guess, internally. It's more outside attacking out, uh, the people on the inside more so. Um, is that a perception, though? Like, I mean, if a man criticised a man, it's just a criticism. If a woman criticises a woman, it's bitchy and, and narky and, well, no, it's just a criticism. I think what made this difference was different was it was, it was name-calling, um, which, um, you know, we're all well, it boils down women. to its roots. That's bullying. Yeah, yeah, you know, you know and, and Sam has suggested that and, and you know, that, that's one word for it. I think bullying implies that there's a weaker party, you know, that, that, that it's a strong person fighting against someone who is, you know, can't stand up for themselves. We can all stand up for themselves. Don't feel sorry yeah. for us. You know, we put ourselves in TV, we put ourselves in that skit, um, we put ourselves in the media. Um, I don't feel sorry for me. Uh, I don't feel sorry for anyone. You know, we're all capable of, of standing up for ourselves and that's exactly what Sam did. How do you generally deal with negative comments? Because I'd imagine the vast majority of people would be really supportive and based on what you sort of see mm. on Twitter and yeah. Instagram and things like that. But there are some wackos out there. How do you deal with that? People are generally and genuinely lovely. Like I actually am very, very lucky in that people are very, very nice to me. Um, and that could be a virtue of the fact that a lot of the stuff that I do is it's nice and it's fun and it makes you smile. You know, it's not going to make people fired up. Um, So I'm lucky in that way. I also um, probably... You've you've got a clever way of dealing with things. Yeah. The, the, the The person that I know that you are, you are smart and self deprecating and all of these great skills that you're able to one of a better term, run rings around the people that want to take shots at you just due to the fact that you can probably defeat them with um, a clever line or two? I try to take the James Blunt approach to social media, really. You know, I just think I say stuff if I have something funny to say. I'll never write back something narky or 
defensive or rude. But if I have something funny that can kind of disarm someone, then I'll write it. Probably not <laughs> not always advisable, but hell, you know, I, I just think I've got an opinion and I like to voice it most of the time. But there have been, you know, it has interesting results. You know, people write back to me and say, oh, okay. Good point. I'll, you know, take that on board. One guy, <laughs> one guy said the other day, he goes, send Edwina to Antarctica by boat. I said, thanks, Ken, for the suggestion. I'd love to go to Antarctica <laughs> and I love sailing. Um, you know, and then what did someone write the other day? A master's degree because I, I, I sort of quipped seeking, you know, mindless bimbo seeking return on master's degree and someone wrote a master's. <laughs> I'm going to have to read it out because without the uh, the full effect, it won't make sense. Someone else wrote wide. It was just during the um, while I was hosting Weekend Sunrise doing a fairly serious yarn. Someone wrote about me and Andrew O'Keefe. Why do I have a weather girl and game show host presenting my serious news? And I wrote back saying, "Dear Shirley, Andrew is a lawyer." And I have a master's degree in international relations. It's my weather presenting you should be concerned about. Uh, so, you know, I think, what did someone write the other day? This is going to make me sound like a bitch. Let's just blame someone else's fault. Are you guys sheep? No apostrophe. Master degree doesn't buy you common sense, does it? Uh-oh. To which I wrote back, no, but it does help with proofreading and correct sentence structure. You know, and I just think... You gotta have a laugh sometimes. Yeah. It's just all too serious, isn't it? It is all a bit too serious. Um it's nice that people know it's not anonymous, that it's that it's you on social media and that you reply and you know, at the end of the day I think I have a fairly good sense of humor and I, I hope most other people do too. Let's jump in the time machine. Mm-hmm. Where did it all start for you? Was the career in media something that you had always looked to do, or was there something else in the the offing? It felt like it felt like a natural um, progression, I guess. At school, I loved doing drama and public speaking and um, you know, English writing. So I had a fairly busy year twelve, actually, and a mutual friend of ours, Laura Tunstall, who I went to school with, who currently works at, at Channel Nine, sort of did all the research in terms of doing a journalism degree. And I thought, oh, well, that sounds pretty good. That sounds like right up my alley, a bit more fun than law, which was the other optional hospitality mm. I briefly looked at as well. And um, so I actually went with Laura, followed her advice, and we both went off to Charles Sturt University in Bathurst where we both studied um, media and communications. And then it was in my final year of university where Sunrise was actually running a competition to give away a job as a producer and they called my uni and said, can you recommend someone? And my lecturer put my name forward and I got the job. At that point, yeah. I'd never, you know, even heard of breakfast television. I'd never, I mean, I was at uni. I didn't wake yeah. up before 11 o'clock. And, um, yeah, suddenly there I was competing for a job on on national TV. And that led to eventually doing some on-air stuff with Sunrise as a kind of young whippersnapper. And then... Ironically, given that I do a lot of entertainment now, but you know, I was doing a lot of entertainment at the time, and I thought I could do more than this, and so I took myself off and started a ma- that master's degree part time yep. while I was still working. So I'd 
wake up at three, go into work, finish work, go home, have a sleep, go to uni at night time, repeat, um, rinse and repeat. And then um, you do like a challenge. I do, stupid, right? <laughs> Eventually, it all got too much. So I decided, right, I'm going to finish my master's in six months. So I quit Channel 7 and started working freelance at 2GB. Yeah. Of course, I met you. And that just opened up the most amazing opportunities and the most amazing experiences in terms of journalism and reporting and live crosses. And I just loved it. I loved every minute in that newsroom and felt like I just soaked up so many skills. I still think now when people ask me for advice, I just say, go to radio. It is the best grounding in journalism and communication that you can possibly have. And yeah. Is it, is it the fact that you have to do all of those things? Yeah. Whereas in TV, you're, if you get your start early doors like you did, you're doing a lot of the researching and mm. things like that. But it's very perhaps one dimensional. Whereas in mm. radio, I mean, you could be editing the morning news. The next thing you know, you could be in court for a massive story. Uh, you might get called out to a shooting. Um, you could turn up at um, some kind of sporting press conference or something like that. The fact that you have got to do and move into all these areas. It mm. gives, gives you a really strong taste for what it's required to be a journalist. Absolutely right. And if anything, it's probably a great training ground for breakfast TV because that's kind of what we do. You know, you have to be a, a jack of all, not necessarily master of any. But um, that's what radio provides you is this amazing scope of stories. As you say, you could be off to interview the Prime Minister and need to know about the political issues of the day or you could be at a crime scene or you could be at a court and need to know the ins and outs of of court reporting and then you're having to cover the Easter show or, you know, something fun like that. So I think that is amazing. You have to get across things so quickly. You have to be able to communicate so clearly and, and we had such great teachers there and the other journalists who who kind of skilled you in painting the picture with words and that is a skill that carries over really well later to TV and often as a TV journalist you're on one story a day you know you're on whatever that story is that day you know one crime and yes you have to do a very thorough job of that one story but you might finish the day and have no idea what else was going on in the rest of the bulletin or yeah. what else everyone was was working on that day so, yeah, I loved radio, absolutely absolutely loved it, um, but I had itchy feet to go elsewhere. So I left 2GB and got a job with Seven Sport at the Olympics in yep. Beijing, went over there. It was a bit of a funny job actually because they kind of knew, I, I mean, I I came with skills so they couldn't make me, you know, a runner as such, but they didn't really have a role as a producer. So I sort of went over in this dual role where I was literally collecting Matt White Maccas, but also writing some stories and um, writing just speeches general, for Bruce and, McEvaney. Yeah, and wrote a speech for Bruce McEvaney, which is my first job over there. Um, it was special. Um, but uh, yeah, so they kind of paid me as this producer, but I was just doing odd jobs, which was amazing because then that bankrolled my travels for the next six months um, around the world, which was great through China and then through Europe. So, and now, you know, since then I've gone to London, I'm about to go to Rio uh, and that's just, I love, I love the Olympics. I love the Olympics, not necessarily because of the sport, yeah, but because of the stories. 
the stories behind the athletes is what I love most. How important in those early days was establishing contacts but also trying to soak up as much information as you could from uh, people that would, as you said, mentor you along the way? Yeah, look, I think you learn so much from the people around you both at your level and directly above you but also the other industry stalwarts, you know. People have amusing stories about working for, for Talkback Radio and, and the various personalities that uh, within those walls. Um, there is so much to learn from those blokes, and I say blokes because most of them are, um, in terms of what they do on air, their memory retention, their ability to connect with everyone from leaders to the everyman. There's a lot to, you know, there's there's stuff I disagree with, opinions certainly I disagree with on Talkback Radio, but you can't deny the skills of those broadcasters and that is certainly something that I very much picked up from working at 2GB. From working at 7 from an, from an early age, one mentor in particular, David Walters, who I still work with now, was instrumental in shaping my early career and my skills and still is to this day. Mm. And without him, I think I would be a very different different journalist and would have gone in a very different direction. And he was the one that first suggested, why don't we, you know, put Eddie on air and, and try this little segment they used to call the Roswell. So I owe him an incredible amount. And actually his wife works at 2GB, so he ended up, you know, again providing that next step in my career. He's known to you as Dougie. Mm-hmm. He's known to me as Larry the Lunch. <laughs> Loves um, the lunch. <clears throat> him and Andrew Moore were the ones that first sort of said to me, you watch this girl's got real talent and <laughs> I've watched with some amazement of how you've managed to go through that progression and come to where you are today. How important is it to have people like that to support you? Or to, you know, I guess everybody's ego needs a little bit of a stroke from time to time. You know, you probably get a a tut-tut from time to time as well. But how important is that when you're trying to forge your way and make a career in in media? I think it's so important, Ralph, to hear it, but also not necessarily listen to it. You don't want to be Does that make sense? Yeah. 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 I'm going to look it up again on my phone because I can never remember it, but there's a really great quote um, that I keep on my phone. Um, Again, because my memory is so bad, it's best to just retain these things. That is one of the key pieces pieces of advice that I tell people when I meet young journos starting out is find someone who is willing to help you and to guide you through and hold on to them and, and hear their advice and take it on board and take the I think take the criticism is is the best the best you know advice I can give anyone. I remember um and this is a simple thing and, and, and goes to that feedback from viewers. We did this trip in a um ice cream truck um down the east coast hard-hitting stuff we got a vintage ice cream truck and sold ice creams for six weeks over the school holiday not sold just gave them away it's hilarious anyway i was speaking to the crowd that were there and we'd get hundreds of people there and i must have just started shouting on air and hey you go to morning paul uh. mcquarrie 
um, which I didn't notice. And then I started seeing comments come through from Sunrise viewers saying, God, can you shut that girl up? (laughs) And I thought that's good feedback because obviously I sound like a screaming banshee on air, but I just haven't noticed it. The advice comes from Woody Harrelson. It's not terrible people telling you that you're great. What is terrible is when you start believing it. So I keep that in mind because it's wonderful to hear compliments and it's wonderful to hear that people like David Walters and people like Andrew Moore, two blokes I very much respect, think that. But I honestly say or feel that I could get fired tomorrow. I honestly think it's that always, it's, all the it's, time. That's the tightrope that you walk when you're in media, isn't it? Yeah. It's, we've all seen it. Redundancies are part of yeah. everyday life in media because it's a shrinking environment. Mm. So you never know when it's all going to come to an end. So Totally. And I, and I, I, do, I think that all the time, as, as strange as that might be for people to hear, I think it's actually a really healthy thing to think because – you're always trying to do the the best possible job that you can do. But at the end of the day, you have to be prepared that if everything changes tomorrow and you are at the will of a lot of people in this industry, you don't always make your own decisions. No, change in, your management means yeah, you change, change your direction. It means, doesn't it means like you change your talent, you know. You know <laughs> someone decides they don't like blondes one day, they like brunettes or whatever, you put your foot in it and people hate you. You know, things change, swings and roundabouts. You have to be prepared for anything, and I think I have, I think I have a good attitude to that. I'm not suggesting that I won't be crying into my Ben and Jerry's, you know, on the couch, watching reruns of my own segments, you know, if it happens or something. But uh, no, I won't be. But uh, you know, like, of course, that would be devastating. But you got to be prepared for anything in this game. You mentioned your time at CSU. Laura Tunstall was one of the people that you went through with. There's like a vast army of yeah. CSU graduates that just yeah. pop up. What makes that place so good for bringing through people that achieve great things in media? I don't know if it's the, um, I mean, the quality of the education is good, <laughs> but we only went to uni about 10 hours a week, if that. That's if you made it to all your treats and your lectures as well. I think it's the kind of people it attracts. It's the way it encourages people to not only go to lectures and go to tutorials but also to get as much experience in the workplace as they possibly can. I think it's the connections that you keep after university too and the ability to call on those connections to use that as a kind of a um, a stepping off point for, for a conversation or to hit someone up for a job or to hit someone up for a favour. Um, but yeah, I think mostly it just really it probably attracts outgoing, interesting, diverse people, and of course you want to stay in touch with them. And of course, people like that will probably end up doing pretty well in the media. And then there's of course the working environment where you sort of start at the bottom and you mm. build up your contacts. I mm. mean, particularly in the media game where so many people cross to different mediums, or whether it be you know, radio station to radio station or radio to TV or whatever the case may be. I mean, having started doing this 20 years ago, and this is part of the reason why I'm actually doing the podcast, is just to reconnect with those connections or how many times you've been able to call on somebody for a favour or if you mm. need a job or something like that. Yeah. It's it's just a really great way to network within a working environment. Absolutely right. 
I've actually just started doing some work with women in media for that exact same reason because I'd love to see a real place or an opportunity for for women and blokes to catch up that doesn't have to be outside a court or in the gutter at a in a gutter scene. at a crime scene or you know the logies or something like that people to come together share experiences share interesting stories perhaps you know I'm I'm forever fascinated and I would encourage anyone starting out in journalism too to 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 get to a, a talk or a lecture or whatever if there's someone from from 60 minutes or just seven news or whatever doing a talk somewhere that you can you can listen to and 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 pick up advice from I love all that stuff I love I still love going to that you know to that kind of thing and, and learning about people's different different experiences in the way that they've navigated this industry I think it's great so um, my it's an impetus for doing work with with the women in media which is an, an incredible group of women. Uh, is is to provide that and is to um to have that with with people and reaffirm those connections too. You came back from your overseas travel to link up with Seven. Firstly, in the the newsroom, it's a great opportunity for you to sort of show your skills and move from you know behind the scenes to in front of the camera. How did you enjoy that? It all came about in a bit of a roundabout sort of way. So I actually I came back to Australia just to get my visa to go back to the UK. Yeah. I wanted to work for the BBC and and spend some time living in London. And I'd processed my visa. I'd, I'd stayed a little bit longer. I, I'd extended my trip by a couple of weeks because my cousin was getting married. And during that time, Channel 7 offered me a job as a reporter in the newsroom. But it kept on dragging out and dragging out and they didn't quite offer it and then it kind of didn't quite come through. And I finally had to say, like, my plane leaves tomorrow. I'm going back to the UK. Oh, I remember it. Yeah, and I and I said, <laughs> you know, if if you should I change my flight? Would you recommend that? And the news director at the time said, you know, change your flight, and I'll let you know. And you know, if if it all doesn't happen, I'll. How hard Get is it you just a like just champagne dangling and... by a, a thread like the, well, the, you know, the whiff of, 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 totally, of an opportunity well. and it's just like you don't want to be in that position where you don't want to push too hard to, mm. you know, annoy them. But at the same time, you still want to say, hi, still here. <laughs> Got a bloody plane ticket here and I'm leaving. <laughs> I think in some ways that was good because it sort of forced their hand in terms of time frame. And then, you know, I, I still remember I was walking home to my parents' house across the bridge and I got this call and they said, we'd like to offer you the job as a reporter for Seven News in Sydney. I burst into tears, not on the phone, thankfully. No. I was like, thank you very much. Yeah, um, <laughs> I will uh, get back to you. And then got off the phone and burst into tears. I was so happy. I was so excited. And I loved it. I loved Loved working in that newsroom. It had its ups and downs in terms of being the youngest female in a newsroom full of blokes who are much more experienced and women who are much more experienced than, than I was. So, And coming from radio where, as we mentioned, you're doing all sorts of stories to suddenly doing three dog stories a week um, had its moments. And that was eventually why I left because I thought I've had two years here, just over two years, Staying here, I'll never get a crack at the big stories. Despite being able to tell them, I didn't feel like I I was ever going to get the opportunity to tell them. 
Well, the so fact I that left. you were at the bottom rung and nobody else seemed like they were moving on, so the opportunities weren't going to present themselves in the time frame that you wanted? It was a very different newsroom then, and I'm not suggesting that a 26-year-old inexperienced reporter should be sent to the day's biggest story over someone who would do a much better job of it. But I just never, I was taken off stories even. Like I'd file a full story, be at a crime scene all night and wake up in the morning and not, not on that story anymore, we're moving into this. Like, are you kidding? Really? I remember calling, you know, calling bullshit on that once. And um, How hard's that to take? Because everyone's got an ego, right? You know, it wasn't so much an e- it wasn't an ego thing. It was just a it was just disappointing. You know, it was just disappointing to have done the work, be able to do the work, and not have that recognised. But you know what? I've always been of the opinion that you make your own way in this life, and for me, I, that was a catalyst for me to move on to other things. I remember writing a story once and being really proud of it. It was a story on um, the 75th anniversary of the Harbour Bridge and we'd climbed it in the morning very early with the descendants of John Bradfield and it was beautiful. Spent all day crafting the story and at the end of the day someone in the newsroom came over and said, that was a great story, Edwina. Did you write that yourself? (sighs) Exactly right. (laughs) (laughs) <sighs> so that frustration it's frustrating it was frust- yeah it was frustrating it was disappointing but it was the best thing that could happen to me because i left i went back to sunrise as their sydney reporter and suddenly i had the first bite of the biggest story of the day johnny on the spot whatever that story happened to be and that was the turning point for me i got to go to the queensland floods i went to the christchurch earthquake uh, i went to east timor for the 10-year anniversary of independence i suddenly was able to tell those stories that I'd always wanted to tell and I was able to do it in the show that I loved and had, you know, started out at and and loved working for and still do. It's amazing when you think about that, I guess all of those flying hours in the, the researching for Sunrise and also the work that you did at 2GB, that when you're presented with an opportunity on a show like that, to be the the key reporter on Sunrise, that everything that is built up underneath you then comes together and you're able to slip into those gears and go to tragic stories but also go to the heartwarming ones, go to the ones that might be a little bit left field. So that versatility that you mentioned in radio just automatically comes into play. Yeah, all the skills that you pick up throughout your life will eventually contribute and come together to, you know, wherever you end up being. And certainly that's how I feel now. I mean, collectively I've worked on Sunrise since I was 20 and now I'm 32. So 12 years on and off i worked for that show. I've done everything from make coffee to print scripts to, to host it. The only thing I haven't done is be the cash cow and that almost came to pass this Friday because we were short some person, short a person. I said, well, I might as well because it's the only job I haven't done. Um, so, yeah, I, I truly believe that everything that I've done has been a, a culmination. Or no, I truly believe that what I do now has been a culmination of everything that I've done. And you know what I realised 
after fighting so hard to be that journalist who covered the murder or covered the vicious crime is it's not really me. I love stories that have real people in them. I feel like I can do a good job of both serious and sad stories, but I'm not a I'm not good at knocking on someone's door and telling them or asking them to share their grief the day that their loved one has died and hand over their family photos. Some people are very good at that and they do it in the best possible way. That is not what I do best. How exciting is it to be given an opportunity like you were with the weather uh, to travel around the country to present you as you? You've got, as I said before, like a very sharp mind, a very quick wit. How important was that for you to be able to go to all these places and just turn up, not be hard and journo, but be Edwina, the fun, engaging individual that people that have worked with you, people that know you, that's you. Firstly, I said no to doing Sunrise Weather on that basis. I thought, I'm a serious journalist. I can't (laughs) do this. And then I filled in for a few weeks and it was extraordinary. We went on this great rally through the outback. Then we went to Fiji and we went to Peru and we did this amazing road trip with our families. And I thought, well, this is actually great and you can do something different with it. And what an incredible experience it is as well. But it was different to go from being an objective journalist to suddenly having to inject a lot of yourself into what you're doing. Different from a public perception in that you probably need to share more than you you ever had in terms of, you know, your family and your loved ones, but also different to be visiting towns, small country towns that previously you'd only go to if someone had been brutally murdered or there'd been some horrific car crash and everyone's backs up, you know, no one wants Mm. to see these journalists and media crews turn up in town because something tragic has happened. Instead, you're there for all the right reasons and all the positive reasons and you're embraced by the viewers and invited into people's homes and have a cup of tea, have a freshly baked cake. You know, it's the way that people, the generosity of people and the way we were embraced by people wherever we went is just amazing. How is it also going from regular journo to, and I know you won't like this term, but to national celebrity? (laughs) Celebrity might be a stretch. Uh, National, yes, we are across the country. Um, Well, let's face it, you know, you're going to all these people, you're in people's lounge rooms every day, five days a week. People kind of think that they know you. So how does that how did that sit for you to go from all of a sudden, okay, people might know who you are if you're like on TV doing a story, if they're really sort of media junkies or mm. stuff like that, mm. to that elevation in profile that comes with a show like Sunrise? The nicest thing people can say, or the nicest thing, the nicest thing that the people say is, I feel like I know you. And that's lovely because I genuinely feel like the person that they see on TV is the person that I am in my real life, and that's really important to me. Hope you agree, Ralph. I 100% agree. <laughs> um, and that's that's been always something really, really important to me, that I'm no different 
to my family and friends than I am to someone I meet on the street or someone I interview on TV. So I think that's lovely. And people come up and say, oh, you know, I hope you don't mind if we have a chat. You know, if I, you know, I hope you don't mind that I came up and said hello. I said, no, absolutely. That's lovely. It's lovely that people feel like they can and, and do come up for a chat and say hi. If I had something to hide, maybe it'd be, mm. it'd be bad or, you know, I've never had anything particularly you know, touch wood controversial or tragic happen in my private life that I've tried to keep private. So I think tables would turn if that was the case. I remember once being on a beach and there was this paparazzi guy taking photos of me in my swimmers and I went up to him and I said, mate, he was funny, he was hiding behind a beach hut, like this family's beach hut, and I said, mate, like, I can see you. You don't try and hide behind this poor family. You've got no bloody idea what's going on. Come out and I'll pose for you. Yeah, yeah come, come out. I'm looking fab. But no, you know, come out and uh, just, you know. And he's like, oh, so, sorry. I'm like, huh? you're not sorry. No. And he's I, there to do a job. Yeah, yeah I said, you know, a, you're doing your job, job, whatever. Um, so that's the real only invasion of privacy that I have ever felt. The way I would have liked to deal with that was to take a photo of myself in my bikini and post it online and say to the nosy bugger who just took a photo of me in my beach, here's one for free, mate. <laughs> That's how I would have dealt with that. It didn't get handled that way. Hopefully it will in the future. I feel like I have more control and a stronger opinion now that I'm willing to express Tell me about Dancing with the Stars. How did that come about? Same again. They offered it. I said no. <laughs> um, Why? And then I just, I just thought it was so far away from, from you know, look at me now. I'm wearing an unironed shirt and jeans. You know, it's just sequins and stilettos was so far away <laughs> from um, my reality. And to follow in the footsteps of Sonia Kruger, who is an incredible dancer and a very glamorous lady, I thought, geez, that's not me. Didn't I? I mean, I'm, I'm an idiot. I say no to all the great things that have happened in my life. And um, it's turned into the best experience. It's been so great. And have met some wonderful, wonderful people I never would have crossed paths with otherwise. Yep. That's been one aspect of it that's been fantastic. Uh, I have been able to work with Dan Mack and, and Shane Bourne, two you know, legends and, and great blokes in this industry. Yeah, it's been great and it's been great for me in terms of profile and, and finding another audience and, um, yeah, it's it's been a really, really fun experience in the end. Tell me about those two guys, Daniel McPherson, anyone who knows him, and I don't know him, mm. but I know people that do, says he's one of the, the best blokes that you'll ever meet that's Absolutely. so unaffected by everything totally. that's gone on in his yeah. life. Um, he actually played in my brother's cricket team. Um, <laughs> he was six years old. There you go. Um, he was a very different-looking human back then. But um, <laughs> was he fat? Have we got the photos. We can sell onto sure new idea out somewhere. Yeah. But anyway, is that how he is? is oh yeah, he's yeah. another another great example of someone who is just as they appear on TV as they are in real life. You know, he's wonderful, and you forget how long he's been around too. Um, in a good way, not in a, you know, not mm. trying to age him here, but I remember my sister doesn't watch TV. And when I said I was doing Dancing with the Stars and Dan McPherson is the host, 
Uh, I tried to Google a photo of him, and you know, there's photos of him from neighbours from like when when I was at school. I, I, he was probably only a few years older than me. This mm. is going to go down really badly with Dan. <laughs> he's not that old; like he's pretty much the same age. But anyway, point being, he's been hot to trot for a long time, and um, yeah, I was so nervous. And I'd only met him once or twice before. No, once I think before we actually did the show, we met at a photo shoot, and I was like, "Hi." I'm Edwina. I introduced myself to everyone. Mm. Someone said to me the other day, you didn't just introduce yourself, did you? I'm like, yeah, I still I still do introduce myself to everyone, even if presumably they People don't know who I am. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, and uh, I was so nervous that first night. I remember like being backstage just basically shitting my pants, going, oh, my God, this is going to be a total disaster. And I thought if it's a disaster from day one, from night one, it's going to be a disaster for the next however many, 10 weeks. So I've just got to step out on the right foot and it's here we go. And Tina Arena was on that series and she must have seen me backstage looking green. And she she actually, she came up to me and she just said, you'll be, you'll be great. You'll be amazing. Is that what you needed just to go out there and be you? Yeah, I think I just needed a moment to go, okay, I've got this. Because, again, on that show, looking from the the outside, Mm. That's you. That's the person that people know. Mm. So, you know, that quick joke, that little bit of sarcasm, mm. that's it, winner all over. Yeah, so, and I think I was probably caught up in the fact that I felt like it wasn't me. And then I just realised you're just talking to people. They're just people that happen to be famous. It's the same thing that I, that I do every day, except those people aren't famous. So it was just an extension of, of what I feel like I do pretty well, which is just talk to people. And that's what it is, just wearing a fancy dress. And then working alongside somebody like Shane Bourne, who's had this amazing career in yeah. so many different facets, like, you know, serious actor, comedian, that whole host, that whole thing that he's able to sort of bring to the table. Um, and he's so funny. He's so, so funny. Um and just so inappropriate to off off um off screen. Uh, it was delightful. So good to work with him as well. Yeah, it, very different from Dan. He comes from an era of TV, you know, this legendary, you know, that, that we all, you know, watched for so many years and, and big, big names as well. And I've obviously I'd seen him on Thank God You're Here and um, many other, Hey Hey, and many big shows um, that really kind of, established Australian TV. Um, so, yeah, that was daunting in itself. But um, I think he, you know, he probably found it a bit daunting because he's coming into this dancing family, yeah. the same experience I'd had a few years years before where everyone's worked with each other for years, everyone knows each other. So, yeah, it was um, it was great. He was a, he's a really great guy. We touched on the sisterhood earlier on when we were talking about which is a word I hate, by the way. I, hate, I, I tweeted I that this week and then uh, I thought, oh, that's so naff. Why did is. you choose that word and yeah, we yeah, idiot? It's, um, it's incredible. But there is that not being a supportive occasion of women on TV. But mm. there is, I spoke to Sarah Harris earlier in this podcast series about the fact that there is this group of young girls that are coming through and showing people that, you know what, they're really talented and they, they can do it. And she mentioned you and she mentioned Sylvia Jeffries from Channel 9 and, of course, she's doing wonderful things for mm. Studio 10. 
What's it like having that peer group support when you're coming through, knowing that, okay, you guys are all, you guys, you girls are all coming through together and, and just enjoying each other's achievements? Yeah, I, 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 that's exactly how I feel. And Because I people think... can often misconstrue network rivalry, but I think... People are just people. They just happen to work for a different joint, totally. right? Totally. <laughs> and there's so much, you know, so many things, so many tweets and messages and whatnot firing back and forth behind the scenes that people wouldn't know about and that are so supportive and so lovely. And, and Sarah and Sylvia are two great examples of that. Um, and, and Sam's another one too. You know, when, when I first started in the studio, there was this article about how we hated each other and how oh, we didn't get along. Where does that come from? I don't know. I honestly don't know. I just find it so So let's put it on the record. You don't hate Sam. We do not Samantha hate each other. She does not Armitage. hate me. I do not hate her. Um, she's one of my very, very good friends. You're I'm not gunning just, for her job? I'm not gunning for her job, no, especially not after this week. Um, no, I just, I just don't understand where it comes from. It's never been something that I have encouraged, experienced, I just find it quite extraordinary actually. Um, and it doesn't have to be just cross-network. Uh, like Talitha Cummins is a wonderful example. Sarah Cummings is another example. Angela Cox, um, all of it, Angie Azimus, um, Sally Barry, you know, these are all great, great girls and who work at Channel 7. Jodie Spears is another and, you know, we don't claw each other's eyes out in the corridors, but you'd think we do, wouldn't you? Like that just seems to be the perception. Well, it's that thirst for clicks on websites. That, yeah, of course. Yeah. Uh, it just seems to be just this way of creating or trying to create unnecessary tension just mm. to get people to read these ridiculous stories mm. about what may or may not be going on behind the scene. But one person's achievements doesn't take away from anyone else's achievements. You know, everyone can have successful careers and choose their own path and be friends and, like, it just takes so much energy to be so hateful all the time. I'd much rather be friends with people than have to watch my back or, you know, be, have be you know, arc up about stuff. Like, just... Fucking relax. <laughs> Very well put. Um, I don't think you get a much more uh, concise and simple way of viewing the world than that, but it's so true. Um, when you look into your crystal ball, mm. what is on the horizon for you? You've obviously got a great challenge that you've just recently taken on, but we all have goals and, and aspirations. What are the goals for Edwina Bartholomew? It's hard to really say what they are, really, because. If you had told me 12 years ago when I started out that I would be where I am now, I just would have told you to bugger off. I just wouldn't have believed you. And that's really been the story of my career is that all these opportunities have come up that I never expected, never anticipated, and that have turned into the most extraordinary, turned into the most extraordinary career. So I don't know what's next. I just bought a farm. That's exciting. Yeah, with my, with my boyfriend, just a weekender. Um, he comes from the country, so we just wanted to have that sort of space away from the city. So that's a focus away from work. How important is that to have that, given the fact that you spent so long on the road, as you mentioned before, to 
guess, rekindle the relationship, or not that it ever well, probably went I away. Well, I did just spend all of January working every weekend and every day of the week, and then I worked last weekend too. So, you know, like I'm easing back into it. I'm not... <laughs> it's a work in progress. Neil said to me last week, I thought things were going to calm down yeah. now. And I'm like, yeah, they, they will. Yeah. They will. I do have a bit of a problem with saying yes to everything and, and never know, but, you know, you've got to say yes to opportunities that come up and, and cool things that happen. Work-wise, I don't know. I'm not really a go-with-the-flow type person, really. No, I didn't think so. That's why I asked, like, what would be the thing that would spur you on to the next level of your career? I don't know. I think I am just – I'm going to be and getting better at being a go-with-the-flow type person because, to be honest, I could probably do with a few months of just stillness and – a bit of relaxing. So, so yeah, I, 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 don't really, I really don't know. I'm you, pretty happy where I am. You've been super generous with your time and I really appreciate it. Can you give some advice to younger people that are looking to break into media, whether it be radio, print, TV, whatever the case may be? You can spend a lot of time examining everyone else's career path, but the unique thing about journalism and media is that no one shares the same career path. And people can do such interesting things with it. If you're a student at the moment or you're just starting out or even if you're in high school, get out there, make podcasts, make videos, even on your iPhone, edit them up, multi-skill, learn a language, have as many poss- as many skills as you possibly can, can collect because that will make you more employable. Get a mentor, as we discussed before. Find someone who's willing to share advice and support you. And do you think that's harder these days? Give you honest feedback. People don't seem to have the time. Although I didn't uh, have trouble finding one. You didn't yeah. have trouble finding one. The uh, people are out there. I guess you just got to so. you got to seek them out. Also, I think so. Like you know, there's always a couple of people recently actually ask me to be a mentor, and I thought, how wonderful! Absolutely, sure. You know, and it's not like a sitting with them doing their homework or having to kind of hold their hand at work. It just means that when they have a career question or want to call for a chat, they do, and it's great. What's that like, having somebody out there that's seen your career take off and they want to not necessarily be like you but find their way through other people's experiences? It feels amazing. It's it's wonderful. It's very humbling and very um, it's delightful. And I think that's what hurt me most about this whole conversation over the last few days about the the mindless bimbo business is that I have tried very hard and worked very hard to be very well respected in this industry. Sure, I do some stupid things on air, do some fun things, like to have a laugh, but I would like to say at the end of the day that if you've met me and you've worked with me and you know me, that you respect me. And to have someone say to me, could you mentor me? Would you help me? Would you offer me advice? I mean, sure, of course. That's an amazing honour. Edwina Bartholomew, thanks very much for your time. You can eat these cakes, Ralph, Ralph, because I'm going to have to eat them all. I'd love to have them. (laughs) Thank you for having me. There she is, Edwina Bartholomew, and I think you'll agree her star continues to rise. If you really enjoyed my chat today with Edwina, please send her a tweet. She's at Edwina underscore B. You can also follow us on Twitter, which is at MediaMatesAU. Please check out the Facebook page. Most importantly, if you could subscribe in iTunes, that'd be great. It means you won't miss an episode. 
While you're there, please leave a rating or review. That way more people will learn about the show. Until next time, I'm Ralph Tucker, and this has been the Media Mates Podcast. Media Mates Podcast.